Welcome to the This Is Reportage podcast. My name is Alan Law. I'm the owner and founder of This Is Reportage, and I'm a wedding photographer myself. Really excited to be doing this podcast, and it's ace that for our very first episode, we've got the brilliant Adam Johnson, winner of virtually every award under the sun and one of the co-founders of Nine Dots. Stick around to hear lots of golden nuggets and info, including how a Twitter DM impacted his career, his very first paid wedding, what makes him happy, coping with nerves, what makes a good wedding photographer, bits of software he couldn't live without, and more. Hello, Adam. Thank you for coming on to the show. Alan, it's great. Thanks for asking me. It's good to be here. It's always nice to hear your beautiful voice. Oh, yes, it's um, yes, very not beautiful, but thank you anyway. <laughs> How's things? How's wedding season been coming along? Yeah, things are great. Things are good. Um, it's been I've been one of my quietest seasons ever. I think I've done 20, 20. I've got three left in December and I think I've done about 19 so far. So that's still a lot, though. Uh, yeah, for me, though, I've always averaged between 30 and 40 a, se- a year. So it was a conscious decision to cut down this year and it's been it's, it was been a good decision. Okay, and why why did you make that decision specifically? Any specific reasons? Um, yeah, a few. Uh, would you like me to Would you like me to tell you them? I I, I think that would be very good. Um, the, well, first first of all, uh, I felt like I was beginning to work myself into the ground a bit. I was spreading myself far too thin. Um, in general, in life, and in in work, uh, I was VAT registered, so um, I wanted to well, I didn't want to necessarily, but I knew that by deregistering from VAT and and giving myself that that cap of income, I was going to have to restrict my weddings. And I knew that I was getting into that zone of VAT where I wasn't far enough above the threshold that I was earning enough to make it worth it. Mm-hmm. So um, it made a, made a lot of sense to deregister and, and to kind of give myself that cap. But in doing that, it's, it's meant that I've had to restrict my work a bit more. And I also wanted more time to um, enjoy myself uh, and also to work on Nine Dots. Which I'm, which maybe we'll talk about in a bit. I think we will. We will indeed. No, that's interesting. The VAT threshold thing, I think, is a, a thing that we all think about from time to time. What was it like when you when you were VAT registered? Then was it? Did you feel like extra pressure or? Uh, I didn't. I think when when I first registered for VAT, it felt like an achievement. It almost felt like, wow, I've I've reached that level of turnover in my business that I have to register, and it felt almost felt like a badge. In a which now thinking back seems stupid. Um, but yeah, I thought, well, it must be great that I'm earning that much money that I need to register for VAT. So, um, well done me. But then I probably did have two years after that, where I was definitely, I was earning significantly over the threshold and significantly over enough that I was, I was definitely making a lot more money by being that registered, but it's a double-edged sword because to be that far above and to stay that far above, I was having to. I was having to just take on everything that pot that came in and do every bit of work and 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 you have to if you're going to register for VAT you have to stay you know thirty grand above the threshold to make it right. worth it in any way so that's a heck of a lot of extra work to be doing just to stay up there so yeah it did become a lot of pressure in the end it became a lot of pressure to stay above it because if you drop into the zone of so the fat threshold I can't remember is eighty five I think yeah. Um, and if you're in, if you're then in the turnover zone of between eighty five and one hundred and five, you're just working to pay VAT. That extra work you're doing is just to pay the VAT. So you've got to be well above that just to start making money again. Like I, I can't remember I worked it out that the difference between um, uh, the the profit of being staying under 
85k turnover is the same as the profit of being 105k turnover with VAT. So yeah, man. It's, it's crazy. And yeah, it did become a lot of extra pressure. It, it felt like a huge weight off my shoulders when I deregistered. And yeah, then that's why looking back, it then became, it felt ridiculous that I saw it as an achievement that I was able to register. Well, I think I, I totally understand it, though. A lot of things, uh, something like that is an achievement really in life, isn't it? And a lot of people say you shouldn't have kind of ceilings that stop you. But from everyone, I think most people that I've heard have gone that registered. They've, they've deregistered after a few years. I think for me, it would be um, too stressful, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, stress is one of those things, isn't it, as well? And you don't always know what's making you stressed until you get rid of that that kind of root cause. And for me, deregistering from VAT Honestly, it felt like, I don't know, it felt like, that felt like the achievement. It almost felt like deregistering was the achievement in the end, but I had to go through that pain of of the pressure of of earning all that money just to just to get to that point. So I guess we learn those lessons as they, as they hit you in the face. Mm, that's true. That's cool. That's really interesting, though. It really is. Um, so I'd like to go on to probably the biggest question that everyone will be wanting to hear. What does the R stand for in ARJ photography? Oh, you could have prepared me for that question. I could have come up with something, <laughs> something hilarious, but it's boringly, it stands for Russell. Russell, um, oh, that's great. That's a great name. Yes. Yeah. It's a, uh, well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Russell, yes, my um, cousin called Russell. So it's uh, a very, very good name. Then it is a great name, yeah. So, yeah. Adam, I would like you to take us back to your very first paid wedding. Yep. And you remember it? How are you feeling? Were you nervous at all? Or did you just rock and roll up to it? And Oh, no way. I mean, so this was February 2010. That was my first ever paid wedding. Man, that's a long time ago. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember it really well. So I had no, before that, I'd second shot one wedding. And that's what I'd used to create my portfolio, my website. And that was it. I'd never, that was my only experience of shooting a wedding ever. Was it a friend's wedding that you did the the one your portfolio on? No, it was. So I had a friend at the time. Well, still still a good friend, and he had a wedding coming up, and just said, "Did I want to come and second shoot for him?" Um, and the, yeah, so that was the wedding that that created my portfolio, and uh, I was only a second shooter, so I had no experience going into my first wedding other other than second shooting a wedding uh, wow. one time. So straight into the deep end. In the deep end, but and I remember at the uh, back then. Uh, I've always had this just general belief that knowledge is power. So I'd, I'd spent a lot of time in the build-up to this wedding, studying everything I could, looking at a lot of wedding photography. And I bought a thing on DVD uh, called the Wedding Photography Blueprint. And uh, yeah, I know. It is, hilarious. it is as hilarious as it sounds. But it was kind of a, it was kind of ahead of its time. If you think about the, some of the stuff that people are doing now, GoPros on, camera, on, on their cameras and kind of recording how they approach a wedding, that's kind of what it was really. And I can't even remember the photographer's name. It was Nick something. Um, and yeah, it basically was somebody filmed him shooting an entire wedding and it was him talking about how he, how he approached the prep, how he approached the ceremony, how he kind of did portraits and all and speeches and dancing and all the rest of it. And it was, it was, it was a start to finish, uh, fly on the wall, almost documentary and, and him talking to camera about how he did the wedding. So I'd I must've watched this 50 times before this wedding. (laughs) Honestly, I I could have. I could probably have recited it back to front. So I went into the wedding feeling like I knew what I was going to be doing. Like, because it, this blueprint makes you believe that every single wedding is the, exactly the same and you're going to come across this and this is going to happen. And then, and obviously it wasn't like that. And yeah, but 
I went into that wedding and I shot this first wedding, February 2010, exactly the way that the wedding photography blueprint had taught me to shoot weddings. And it went all right, you know, it was it was pretty good. I, I don't think I did a bad job of that wedding. I think it, I think um, it was a good, solid um, set of wedding photos. Yeah, I had definitely had some issues. Uh, I mean, uh, I didn't know my camera as well as I should have done, probably. So there was, was it, a lot. There was, was it a... digital? Or oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, it's digital. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know. It was a long time ago. Oh, it's 2010, not 1972. <laughs> uh, okay. But yeah, yeah, it was digital. So I, had, I started off shooting weddings. I had a Canon, Canon 40D. And I think my second camera that for the first wedding or first few weddings was was my original ever camera, which was the Canon 4, 400D. Um, right. So the 40 was, was fine. The 400 was was her, a terrible little camera, but good for good for hobbyists and, and uh, amateurs, but yeah, terrible. So I quickly upgraded. But so but I shot that first wedding and it was I, I, was, pr- I was really happy with the set and the couple were really happy with the set. Um, it was the, probably the, the, the rest of the weddings that year that were, were worse than that first one, but only because I in, then instantly went into experimentation mode. So every single wedding, I was trying something different. Every That's... wedding, one wedding, I would be the I would be flash on everything the next wedding i'd be natural light and everything next wedding would be everything at six thousand iso you know it was every wedding was totally different well that's interesting though that you did that straight away because i think a lot of people when they get into it they quite regimented when they're in their first lot of weddings you know they want to stick to a formula but you were straight away experimenting then yeah i don't think i knew that that's what i was doing i think i was just i was finding out about a piece of equipment and going oh well people use that so i should use that and then I would just tr- use that at my next wedding or, and I'd buy it because I had a full-time job back then. So I was, I had a lot of disposable income really that I could just fritter away on pointless equipment. So right. I'd, buy, I'd buy a softbox one day and, and then I'd use it on, the, on that weekend's wedding because the, just to kind of give a little context to that year. So um, it was a totally different time in the industry really. And I was working in marketing at the time. So I understood a lot of things that, that kind of photographers didn't really know how to do. So we're talking about before WordPress uh, before themes and before it was easy to make yourself a website. So I built my entire first website and coded it. I coded my first website in HTML. Really and, nice. Uh, wow. Yeah. So, and people didn't, you know, that's what, that wasn't a skill that was available to uh, every wedding photographer back then. And uh, what was your was, day job then? I was, well, at that point I was a, I was a, a database programmer, but I worked in marketing. Okay. Uh, but before that I'd been, I'd been a website developer and a, and all this kind of stuff. So I'd always been a kind of a, a technical person, I guess. Um, still am really, but um, so yeah, I built a website, but also because I'd worked in marketing for a long time, I understood things like Google AdWords. So when I launched my business, which was September, 2009, so whatever, five months before this first wedding, um, I built my website and advertised on Google. And before I knew it, I had 30 weddings booked for that first year. Wow, man, that is good going. Because my philosophy always from the beginning, well, for that first year or so, I mean, I wasn't, I was very cheap. I think I was averaging about 450, 500 pound a wedding. Wow. Are you more than that now? No, same. Still with, <laughs> that's why, that's why staying above the VAT threshold was so, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was having to do a thousand weddings a year. Um, no, I mean, uh, yeah. So my, in, so the whole thing was that I wanted, to, I knew I wanted to do a lot of work very quickly because I knew that I wanted to make this a full-time career. And I didn't want to build up to that over, you know, three, four, five, six years. I wanted to do a lot of work very quickly, find out what kind of photographer I was and make it work. So um, shot the first wedding ever, February 2010. And I was I was full time by 
the summer of the following year. So it wasn't it wasn't long afterwards. No, that's that, that's and, really quick. And a lot of that was due to the fact that I was able to exploit the industry really that didn't know how to advertise and didn't know how to use, especially online. With AdWords costing about like five p a click back then. Wasn't it wasn't it? much. Yeah, I mean, I was I was advertising. I think on on pretty generic terms as well, like Cheshire Wedding Photographer, and maybe paying. I don't know. It was under a pound a click. Well, so it wasn't yeah. wasn't much money. Different times now. And it's interesting. You said that uh, that you knew straight away that you wanted to do this as a career. What was it about then wedding photography that like just pulled you in? Why did you know you really wanted to do it? Um, I'm not sure if it was anything about wedding photography. It was more that I just didn't want to have a, a real job and a boss anymore. Right. Yeah. And and, uh, <laughs> and 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 because that never worked for me. I was not a very. I was I was good at my jobs, but I wasn't a very good employee. Um, funnily enough, I was at a wedding last weekend as a guest for the first time in in ages, and one of my so that the this wedding was for an old work colleague who's still a great friend, and he's actually a wedding photographer himself he's the guy that I second shot for just before I shot my first wedding oh cool that's cool but I guessed it so that was it was his wedding last weekend and one of his guests was was mine and his old boss uh from one of my <laughs> old jobs and uh the wedding photographer on the day Neil Redfern ah, cool. uh he's he was sitting on our table at dinner with me and my old boss and he turned he said to my old boss he said well, what was Adam like as an employee and without hesitation my old boss said an absolute pain in the ass." <laughs> And he wasn't even joking. Like, I didn't even try and sugarcoat it. So, I, yeah, I knew I wasn't a very good employee. I didn't enjoy having a nine-to-five. I didn't enjoy the the um, the constraints on my life of having a nine-to-five, especially once I had children. Um, yeah. I didn't like having to ask somebody if I could have a day off to look after them if they were ill. I didn't like having to ask them if I could go to a sports day. You know, all this kind of stuff was... Yeah, definitely. Instantly, I felt like a problem in my life. So, once um, our first baby went to nursery... Um, that's when it really hit me, really, because somebody else was getting to spend 50, 60 hours a week with my child, and I was having to be at a job. And, you know, I was I was getting to, to see him in, when he was grumpy in the evenings, and I was getting to obviously see him at the weekends. But I knew that I had to change something because I just wasn't happy with that. So the only thing I had at that time was as a hobby was photography. I had a camera, and, I, and you know, I, I could take a nice picture of an apple sitting on the kitchen work surface. So mm-hmm. I thought I was a great photographer. And... <laughs> Uh, so that was the only option, really. I thought I'm, I'm going to need to quit my job and not have a nine to five day job to have the kind of life that I want to have. And the only thing that I can think to do is be a photographer. So it wasn't like this was a, a thing that built up over years and years. I didn't used to develop black and white film with my granddad in his garage or anything romantic like that. It was very much a, I don't want to have a job anymore. What can I possibly do? Oh, I'll be a photographer. So that was it, really. There's no, um, there's no long beautiful Hollywood story of how it all got started. It was just a, I was a terrible employee, didn't like having a boss and didn't like having set hours and an office and all the rest of it. Oh, that's really interesting though. And so it's a, yeah, I mean, I, I was similar actually. I was, I was awful working for other people. So yeah, I, I totally relate to that. And now as a wedding photographer yourself with um, kids, what's that like being a, a wedding photographer dad? I mean, there's so many benefits that I see well, how, how, how's it working out for you yeah I mean I think the one thing that has been I've been kind of lucky with is I've pretty much been a wedding photographer their entire lives now so um it's it's, it's felt just felt like it's, it's very normal so I know a lot of people especially struggle with you know maybe they are, are a photographer then they have children and then then there's the issue of they're not around at weekends and mm. um and, and all that kind of thing I've, I'm just very used to that so I love being able to be here when they go to see them off to school or take them to school in the mornings. I love being at home when they get home from school. 
I love that they don't have to go to after school clubs and uh, and that we can just go to sports day and we can just, you know, uh, help out with school if we need to and all the rest of it. So to me, the whole, the whole, um, it, it, to me, it's perfect. It's, it's perfect. Uh, yeah. Job cool, having kids. Yes. I'm away a lot of weekends and sometimes that has an effect on family life because, uh, Sophie, my wife, she, you know, she'll, I mean, she takes care, she, she does takes care of the kids most of the time because I do, even though I'm at home all week, I, I'm a bit of a workaholic. So I am spending most of my time still working. Um, but I, I think it fits perfectly and I wouldn't change anything. That's cool. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm going to change text slightly. So first thing or things that come to your mind, what makes you happy? My word. Your word makes you happy. <laughs> oh, I said no, my word. Um, uh, that's a, a very deep question to go yeah, into. To go to. I mean, there's, uh, I don't know, really. I mean, go, watching Man United play football makes me very happy. Really? Does it, though? It does. One of my gen. You know what? I feel like I'm happiest when I'm when uh, when I'm able to just stop thinking about everything. And there's certain things like going and watching football that help me just shut off and just be totally and totally into the thing that I'm that I'm doing. Mm. Um, I think that's I mean, so important. I'm, I'm generally a, a quite a happy person. I think. I, I, I think uh, some people might might laugh a little bit at that because I have this reputation <laughs> of being a grump but I don't think I'm a grump I think I'm generally quite a happy person and uh playing tennis makes me happy I mean there's a lot of things that make me happy really um I don't know I don't want to say anything too cliche well no, that's uh, good I think it's yeah. important to have things that clear your mind like that as well yeah, yeah. I'm surprised you mentioned Manchester United though because <laughs> oh man man isn't that stressful no that's stressful oh uh, the thing is I am uh I, uh, so my family have always been Man United fans, really. My granddad was Man United fan. My great granddad was, I think. My dad was, and that's what—that's the reason I'm a Man United fan. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's not—it's not the heyday anymore, but I still—I <laughs> just love. I'm a, a die-hard Man United supporter, and and I love going to watch watch them at Old Trafford, win, lose, or draw. Obviously, I'd much prefer a win. I don't get anywhere near as down as I used to when they when they lose because. Otherwise, so I'd, <laughs> exactly. I'd spend a lot of my life down. But um, <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I mean, a lot of things make me happy, really. Little things. It's mainly little things that make me happy. You know, my kids make me very happy. Yeah, no, that's cool, man. But the big question, I guess, though, is who is better, Manchester United or Birmingham City? I mean, that it's, is... a, it's a huge question. I mean, that's a that's an hour long debate in itself, isn't it? It is. It is. We haven't got time, unfortunately. No, because because uh, obviously I love you and I love Sam Docker. I'm not going to I'm not going to have that debate. <laughs> Because there's no debate to be had. There's no debate. <laughs> but okay, okay, we're going to switch from football. Okay, uh, to alienate too many people. Um, so you mentioned it earlier that uh, about Nine Dots. So you're obviously one of the founder of Nine Dots. For anyone who um doesn't know what it is, but I'm sure everybody does. But could you just explain what Nine Dots is and how it came about? Yeah, I mean, um, Nine Dots. So we founded Nine Dots in uh, late 2014. There was four of us at that point. There was me, Andy Gaines, Rahul Kona, and Mick Shah, and it was all mix um, mix idea really. So he wanted to he wanted to do a workshop that was collaborative. So four people actually all teaching the same thing really, rather than just a, a, a workshop with four different speakers. Four people um, teaching together. Uh, for different photographers we didn't we weren't friends back then this is the whole weird backstory of nine dots we weren't even mates or anything it was just a very random collection of four people mick i think mick first asked rahul uh then the two of them agreed to ask andy Gaines, and then the three of them agreed to um 
ask me. So it, it, it was this kind of weird uh, concoction of four different photographers who didn't know each other in real life. Real life. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> and we came together to, to teach this first workshops, which which we did in February 2015. Um, we did two back-to-back workshops. Uh, and then straight after that, we um, devised the Nine Dots Gathering, which is now in its, about to be in its fifth year. So that's a conference that we run every year in London with uh, speakers from all over the world. You've spoken there, Alan. Which well. is amazing. Yeah, I mean, I love it. I've been every year. I love it. Can't wait. I know, we, we love having you. Um, <laughs> So yeah, the, we did the workshops, then we did the gathering um, slash conference. We, we don't like to call it a conference, but essentially that's what it is. Um, and that's what we did for, for 2015. We did the workshops conference. 2016, we did the workshops and the conference. 2017 again, 2018 again. Um, and and then, in, then last year again, 2018, we changed tack a little bit because it was get, it was Mick, Mick was, Mick had moved on by this point. Mick became a videographer and uh, went on to do different things. So he, he stepped back from Nine Dots and left it to Andy, Rahul, and myself. Um, we did some workshops at the beginning of last year, and then middle of last year, we we turned we changed tack and turned it into an online membership system. So it was getting difficult to synchronize our diaries often enough that we could run workshops together. But we and and also we wanted to reach more photographers than we were reaching with the workshops. So with the workshops, we were reaching 10, 15, 20 at a time, and we wanted to do more really. So we 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 built an online membership system where we now create online videos and online content and um, we do some awards and critiques and uh, and have a really cool community behind it. So um, it's really now the whole the whole point of it is that um, we want to kind of we've always been really passionate about raising the standard in general of wedding photography and raising the profile of wedding photography in the UK as well. That's what really the gathering was all about, because that did nothing like that existed back then. Um, and we also want to give we want to make it feel like um, as a wedding photographer, which is quite a solo um lonely job at times to make it feel like people have some have kind of people that they can turn to and, and a supportive network of other wedding photographers to help them out so yeah and you've definitely built that I mean just from first hand seeing in just the Facebook group as an example you know people asking questions all the time and the amount of support that people uh, give there it's 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 a brilliant community you've made oh cheers I mean it, yeah it blows my mind that, that that that's what's that was never we, it's like we we didn't set out on day one to to build a an amazing supportive community of, of very cool people. It just kind of that was kind of a byproduct, but it's the best bit of Nine Dots. The best the for us the best the the most the thing that we're most proud of uh, with Nine Dots is that is that community that it's spawned. Yeah, um, totally it's brilliant. Get that. Yeah. And the gathering itself, people, if you haven't been, is is just brilliant. So yeah, as I uh, said with Adam, I've been every year and absolutely love it. And there's table tennis, which is brilliant as well. And just <laughs> nobody has an ego there. You can just go up to anyone and talk to them. And it's just a brilliant time. Really, really recommend it. Yeah, you've built something great there. It's awesome. Should we, should we, um, should we, mention, should so, we mention that you're the, the, the two-time reigning ping pong champion of mine? Oh, <laughs> you can mention that if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to, but yeah. <laughs> I oh, know I just love table tennis. That's great, but yeah, but yeah. Also, nine dots. I'm gonna wherever you're listening to this. If you're listening to it from the this reportage uh, website link, I'll put a link to nine dots in there. Really recommend checking it out. Thanks, Although you sell out all the time though, so quickly anyway. But yeah, people need to get it. Please. <laughs> um, so I was gonna ask. Right, yes, a bit left field again. If you could choose one day in your life to live over and over again, like Groundhog Day, which is like one of the best films ever, which day would it be? It would be, it, it would be, I mean, you're going to take me back to football, but it would obviously be May, <laughs> ni- May 1999 when uh, Man United won the treble. Oh, would it really? Yeah. That, yeah, it would, it would. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I, prob- I should probably say when my kids were born or, or <laughs> no, again, no, something something a bit more cliche for you. But I was just, it, that it, that would be the day. That the, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. I, I remember watching that actually. I did um, watch it, and yeah, Manchester United like my second team because I lived in Manchester for a while, so they're kind of like my second team. Um, yeah, that was a good day. Um, so you've shot weddings in over twenty different countries, um, which is loads, man. Do you count like <laughs> England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, and stuff? But no, that is loads. Yeah, I do. I, I do. I yeah. do count. I do count. But, <laughs> yeah. They are different countries. They are. Um, but yeah, do you have a favourite country that you've shot in? Oh man, I mean, uh, I, I think the country that it wasn't a wedding. I've only been there for an engagement shoot, but the country that's blown my mind the most is Norway, and that's the one. I'd, you know, I'd love to go back there and uh, and explore some more, but. Just a beautiful country and um, look uh, really lovely, friendly people. Uh, that's the one country that that stands out. I mean, uh, Morocco was it was a crazy experience because it just felt like a totally different culture. Um, but I've re- the, the funny thing about this is kind of the funny thing about destination weddings, especially, is you don't really get to experience that much about the country itself often, because you you just fly in the day before, often shoot the wedding and fly home the day after, so you're not really seeing much i guess that's why one reason why norway's probably sticking out for me is because it was an engagement shoot and i felt like we did a bit of exploring and we were able to see the country and 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 kind of explore it and find out find out a bit about it for ourselves whereas weddings you know often especially the more long-haul destinations is you, you'll be in a resort which is a bit generic um it's, it's great to go there don't get me wrong i love to, i do love to travel but you're not really get you're not really i don't ever feel like i can say i've been to that country mm. Um, yeah, but still, you know, still, I mean, a, a lot of this, you know, tw- you know, it almost feels embarrassing when you bring it up, but <laughs> a lot of this saying, you know, I've shot in this many countries and uh, it, in a way it's just marketing, you know, that's what the, I'm not trying to gloat about anything. I'm just, you know, we're all trying to win clients and win bookings. Oh, totally. I mean, it's and, good. and it's all the a... kind of stuff that you say is that that's what it's for really. So, yeah. Yeah, but it is a big deal as well. And yeah. it does give um, clients, it's very valid. It gives them confidence that you've shot in all different kind of conditions all over, I think. So it's very valid. And I think, especially British people, maybe in particular, we don't shout about ourselves as much as we should do, you know, so it's very business. True. So I uh, yeah. totally get that. And um, how did you get your very first destination wedding? Do you, do you remember? I do. Yeah. So uh, one of my best mates in the world, Chris Mee, he's a, a wedding photographer based in Northern Ireland now, but he used to, he used to be based in Manchester. And uh, we were in a Facebook group together, and a few Facebook groups together. We'd never really spoken, and then all of out of out, again. This is going to feel a bit old-fashioned now, but uh, out of the blue, I got a Twitter DM from him, and it's all it said was, "Do you want to shoot in the sun more often?" And <laughs> and uh, so obviously at, at this point, I'd never shot a destination wedding. I hadn't really thought about shooting weddings outside of Manchester and Cheshire, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'd always from the beginning, I'd always seen that. I always thought this was a local job. You know, this mm. was. You'd, you start. You become a. You become a Manchester wedding photographer or Cheshire wedding photographer, and that's that's your region, and that's that's where you do weddings. Um, so to get this message from Chris was was, well, it was. I didn't know what he meant. Was talking about really. So uh, from that message, we had a bit of a conversation. We agreed to meet for pizza, which uh, all the best things happen over pizza, and uh, we just decided there and then to to start a, to become a destination wedding photography duo. So we started a website uh, called Me and AJ. And oh, really? I didn't know that. That's yeah, cool. we did. And we, we made a brochure and we built a website. And Chris was, uh, this was in the days when SEO, you could kind of get away with uh, bad SEO. So, but bad SEO almost did you a favor. So Chris was kind of good at all that stuff. He owned the, the domain name destination, destination wedding photographers.com. Oh, and nice. 
Does he still so have that? that? <laughs> Maybe. Um, <laughs> Sold it for like a million. I think he still has it. Um, yeah. So, But we used that domain name. We built a website on it. We we ranked it instantly. At, at I think we were number one or two in Google for destination wedding photography. So um, it was only about three or four weeks after after we launched that website. And it was never like a public launch. It was just literally a Google a Google thing. We, we made it exist on Google. Um, we got an inquiry for a wedding in Kenya. And uh, sadly, Chris was not available, but I was. um and i booked that wedding in kenya for for not very much money have to have to say um and that was really the thing that kick-started my me as a destination wedding photographer and i think having such a unusual destination to begin with as well um yeah it is going back to what you said before it gives it gives people kind of it makes people look at you differently they go oh my god he's shot a wedding in kenya Mm. Uh, he must be amazing so it's all smoke and mirrors <laughs> but it's all true uh, though isn't it it's all true <laughs> uh, so but it really it went from there so uh, i met some i met a couple at the wedding in kenya who then booked me for their wedding in hong kong um yeah. somebody else then uh who was linked to the bride who uh, whose wedding i'd shot in kenya um booked me for her wedding in thailand and then her friend booked me for her wedding in thailand um it, and it all kind of went uh from there really so I don't think I've ever booked many destination weddings cold, apart from that first one. Everything else has, has been either a referral, um, uh, or you know something like that. And then, but yeah, that's that was cool, the, that, that that random story of Chris sending me a Twitter DM. Do you want to uh, do you, do you want to shoot in the sun more often? Just led <laughs> led to that whole thing really. And uh, then I then I started to build my business around it. I started to to make it really obvious on my website that I was a destination wedding photographer that I wanted to shoot destination weddings that they were part of my business. Because brides and grooms like to see that, you know, they, if they're getting married, if they're having a destination wedding, um, for some reason they want they want somebody who can shoot destination. Even though we all know it's a lot easier to shoot in sunny, sunny, beautiful conditions, mm-hmm. um, they still think they need somebody that's experienced at shooting destination weddings. So, yeah, no, it's been it's been a ride. But um, even that, I've scaled back a little bit on that now. I don't want to. I don't really want to shoot long haul weddings anymore. So, and who knows after Brexit whether we'll be even be able to shoot in Europe anymore. So maybe I've ridden, <laughs> maybe I've ridden the crest of that wave. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, so, can you tell me something that you're truly, truly awful at in life or in photography? No, in in everything, in anything. Something that you are awful at. Yeah, cooking. I can't cook. <laughs> uh, yeah, I definitely can't cook. Um, I think there's lots of things I'm terrible at. You know, this, I don't want to turn this into a therapy session. If I was to sit here That's and good. list every everything I think I'm, I'm terrible at, it would become a, te- a therapy session. There's yeah. lots of things. There's lots of things I could be better at, and there's lots of things that I think we. I mean, I guess a lot of us beat ourselves up about, be, especially being self-employed, uh, because being self-employed it can turn you into a workaholic and it can get a little bit unhealthy. So there's definitely times when I feel like I could be a better dad, I could be a better husband, you know, always a better friend. Um, in photography. Uh, there's definitely things I'm bad at. Um, I don't that, believe that, it. Don't I, believe it, Adam. Yeah, yeah. There's things that terrify me. Fireworks still fi- shooting fireworks still terrifies me. Because oh, good. I'm glad you added the photographing of them. You're not just scared of fireworks. <laughs> no, I love I love fireworks. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm terrible at photographing them because I just stand there and watch. And then at the end, I'm like, shit, I haven't taken any pictures. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, What is a random fact about you that you think uh, most people would be surprised to know? Oh, mate, I'm a very boring person. I'm not sure I have any random facts. No, uh, I used to be a football referee. Really? Yeah, I was a football referee, and I was on the fast track to the Premier League. Wow! Um, this was in my early. T- I was about twenty-three, I think, at the time. Uh, and yeah, I've always loved football, see, but um, I've always been terrible—a terrible footballer. <laughs> um, Is that what how most referees get into it if they're not very good footballers? 
Well, I think the, the most referees, I think, get into it because they want to be involved in football but just aren't good enough to play it at any any kind of level. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I got into refereeing, and I think because I was quite young and quite passionate about it, uh, somebody from the FA p- had, had been out scouting referees. Bizarrely, that's the thing that actually happens. Uh, and I got this call to say, do you want to be a, do you want to be fast tracked to the Premier League? And obviously, I was a 23, 24 year old obsessed with football, and it was okay. the it was almost like winning the FA Cup. So, um, I was training on I was training with some some uh, Premier League linesmen and referees on a one night a week. Um, but then it all took a sour turn, really. So refereeing is a very thank. Well, as as everybody knows, it's a very thankless task, and uh, you want you know. I was it was the end of one season. And I was I was refereeing some uh, important cup games and linesmen on other cup games, and I, 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 somebody spat in my face, and I just quit oh, refereeing. Quit refereeing that day, and never never went back to it really. But oh, I, I think some of it was because I was quite young, so I was I was an easy target. I think it could be something I would go back to. Oh man, but that's that's an awful experience though. Yeah, well, I, mean, well I, I would rather say I'd say it's character building. That's <laughs> <laughs> never never happened at a wedding, is it? Not when you've like delivered your photos and no. Oh, yeah. Uh, what are you trying to say? No, <laughs> uh, no. But I think it, it stuff like that definitely gives you a, definitely toughens you up. I was I was probably a bit of a wimp before I was a referee. Um, I'm still a wimp now, but um, it, it's definitely character building, and it definitely helped me with uh, the people side of things. Yeah, I bet. Um, and just going in cold and deal, trying to deal with people and and try and and especially in difficult situations and and try and you know the the one of the key things to refereeing is to make everyone feel like you're everybody's mate, whatever team they're on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I still take that into weddings now. I still go into weddings, uh, and my instant goal really is to is to make everybody feel like I'm they're my friend and I'm their friend. Yeah. I mean, we, um, were you nervous when you were a referee? Do you, do you still get nervous now with weddings and talking at conferences and things, or do, do you not feel that? No, I, I'm a very, I'm, I'm a very anxious person in general. So I, I refereeing, I used to, I used to get ill before I'd go yeah. to a match, and you, and it's not like I mean, I was refereeing Sunday league and and you know pointless games, <laughs> but I would, I would still get, sometimes get sick before I would go and referee a game. Uh, I would be, you know, for terrified and full of nerves just before a game kicked off but it's a bit like weddings now i feel exactly the same really i feel you know even 10 years in or whatever it is i feel still feel super nervous before i go to a wedding Mm. um but you know back with the refereeing and same with photography as soon as i get started and take a few pictures or as soon as i blew the the first whistle of a football match back then i would feel great i would feel like i was loving it and uh and that's exactly the same with photography as soon as i start taking pictures at a wedding and i remember that i you know i know what i'm doing and i can take a nice picture um i relax into it but yeah i think i still get nerves i definitely get nervous before a wedding um and i still get nervous at certain points of the day as well i mean that's interesting yeah because i think people maybe um who are listening maybe you know it's going to be a wide range of people who who do hopefully listen to this but some (laughs) of them are going to be kind of people who have just started and they'll be feeling nervous and they'll be wondering if these nerves do go and it's interesting for you you say it hasn't really it hasn't for me either they they haven't gone i still get nervous before each wedding but yeah it's not easier i think it it gets it i think the nerves change i think you get to a point where you know you're going to do a good job like you know you're going to go to a wedding and take good pictures because you've 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 got a track record of doing that but you know it's a different i get more nervous about the people side of it i think than the photography mm-hmm. side of it you know i don't i want to go and make a good impression on people i want to be a positive impact on their day these things make me nervous uh i want to do the best job i possibly can there was a period when i was 
uh, obsessed with awards and I was winning a lot of awards and that added another layer of pressure because I felt like I almost had to live up to the um, reputation and that was that was a pressure that I had trouble dealing with actually for a bit um, and one of the reasons I backed away from awards for a, for a good year or two but um, yeah I mean it never what goes away. What kind of pressure from the awards what do you mean like you were oh, winning all these things so you felt like all the work that you put out had to be like a mega high level is that kind of pressure no, i that... think i think clients pay quite a lot of attention to that more more than i think we realize that they pay attention to it and i was going to weddings and feeling like I, that they were expecting me to create award-winning photography at their wedding so um and that's that's a, that you know award awards are only a, can only ever be a bonus you can't shoot for those you can't yeah, shoot totally. for that way so i remember there was a wedding a while ago i won't say where it was a or who it was but um and there was a welcome party and there was an announcement made that I was the sixth best wedding photographer in the world. Now, <laughs> just to get so that all that had happened was that just before the, just before this wedding, uh, a set of results had come out for ISPWP. Oh yeah, uh, and in that particular context, I was I'd finished sixth overall. So they made this announcement to all their guests that I was the sixth best wedding photographer in the world. Yeah, and no pressure. Oh mate, I, I could have just it, this was a this was on a beach, and I would just wanted I was just wishing it was quicksand. Like that that's how I felt at that point. I just wanted to sink into the ground. So yeah. So it just got to a point where I felt like people were wanting me to create award-winning photos and I don't know if you're trying to create award-winning photos you won't create award-winning photos. So um yeah, the pressure the pressure from that well it became too much for me. I'm not very good at dealing with um massive amounts of pressure. I think that's part of the part of the fact I am a bit of an anxious person but um, yeah, who, I didn't like. Who is, didn't good, like... who is good with eating pressure, though? I mean, oh, I'm sure there's people. I'm sure there are <laughs> some people. Um, I remember. Um, I hope, I'm, I'm sure he won't mind me saying this. So, so the uh, Ross Harvey, who we all know, Ross Harvey. Um, yeah. I second shot for Ross. This was way back, maybe 2013, I think, a long time ago, 2014, maybe. Um, and I met up with him the night, the day before the wedding, and we were talking about things like this, like about nerves and. Um, and all this kind of thing, and he kind of said that he doesn't he doesn't really feel that pressure or those nerves um, because he's just confident that he's going to do a good job because he knows he can do a good job. So um, I think everybody's mind works differently, and every yeah, and, and and people are able to I don't know um, come up with different mechanisms, I guess, to train them train themselves to be better at that kind of dealing with that side of it, that that more psychological side of the job. That's true, and, and yeah, and, and Ross, I guess, does live in a kind of different planet as well. So <laughs> yeah, to most of us. Yeah, it helps that he's not human. Yeah, um, I, I, I obviously I mean that in the nicest possible way. Oh, of course, a lot of respect yeah, for Ross and the in the way his mind works, especially in the way that in the way that he works. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. What, in your opinion, then makes a good wedding photographer? I know it's quite a general subject, uh, but I mean, but, yeah, what is a good wedding photographer? I think the the, the the, the the one skill that a wedding photographer needs is empathy. I think uh, you can't, and I say this really from experience of, of doing the opposite. Really, you can't you can't go into weddings uh, to shoot for your, to shoot pictures just for you. I think I think if you uh, if you are good at the empathy, the, being empathetic towards the people that you're shooting, you'll really feel that wedding. You'll feel what it needs. You'll feel the the pictures that it that those people need, and you'll you'll get you'll get a much deeper understanding of the de of those people and their wedding and that'll just come through in the pictures um and and also kind of to contradict what i said a minute ago the more you do that and the more you shoot for them then you will get opportunities during the day to shoot just for you so the more you the more they feel like they're that you're there for them the more they're likely to give to you when you've when you've maybe got a weird idea 
or something that doesn't feel, you know, normal. You so maybe a pose in a portrait or whatever it might be, they will give back to you as well. So, but I think empathy is the is the, is the above and beyond the number one skill that we need as wedding photographers, way above anything to do with cameras or settings or creativity or anything else. Um, I guess for me, creativity would be second. I think that's I think having the kind of creative side to my brain and being quite tapped into that has been something that's helped me a lot in my career. But far and above it would be empathy and also the more you're able to do that you more the more you'll enjoy weddings because you'll feel part of it as well and that's so important isn't it to to be enjoying it oh yeah massively i mean the, there's definitely been times in my career and i'm sure you're the same when i'm when i maybe haven't haven't enjoyed it as much yeah totally uh and something and that's either been due to working too much or doing too many weddings and just getting lost in the fog of wedding season um or it's through um, losing sight of what we're really there to do and and what weddings are all about and and also you know things things like I was talking about a minute ago with with the awards and the pressure that came from that and then I started shooting and trying to shoot in a different way and um and dis- then constantly disappointed that I'm not creating the kind of work that I want to be creating and it just becomes a vicious kind of downward cycle at that point um so yeah em- empathy all day long is 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 the is the cornerstone of our job I think yeah totally agree totally agree um, just last couple of questions now. Do you have one particular piece of software or app that you really couldn't do without? Um, I don't know. Lightroom. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is quite handy, isn't it? Yeah. That is quite handy. Uh, a lot, really. So my, one of my big obsessions really is automation. And uh, so I've, I, I enjoy automating parts of my business admin, mainly that I just don't like doing, that I find tedious. Uh, so there's lots of little bits of software that I use on that side of things, uh, which I couldn't live without. Zero is a piece of software that I use for my bookkeeping. Uh, okay. That's amazing. A uh, little piece of software that I use is called Text Expander. So that's where I kind of store standard responses uh, for inquiries or um, things like that. That is, uh, so you just type in a shortcut and it and it puts in your standard response for an inquiry, for instance. Yeah, cool. Um, on my web on my website, um, I use Gravity Forms uh, because I love the way that you can just have clever little bits of automation within that. Um, so, for instance, you might people might inquire, and depending on depending on their whether their wedding's in the UK or Europe or further away, you might send them a different price list. Um, you can set all that kind of stuff up to be automatic within something like Gravity Forms. So, there's probably a lot of little bits of software that I couldn't live without. Um, Oh, and PFixer as well. So that it, PFixer is a piece of keyboard shortcut software for Mac, not for PC. I know for, you won't be able to use it, Alan. <laughs> uh, where you can you can set up your own shortcuts for Lightroom on the keyboard, and there's de- I definitely couldn't live without that. Cool, cool. Thank you. That's all really, really good stuff. Um, is it going to be final question? I think so because it's gone on. It's gone so quickly, but it's it's it's, it's mad. Um, do you love four weddings and a funeral? Uh, you know, what? I'm not sure I've ever seen it. No, no, I'm not sure I've ever seen it. Uh, what? I know. Sorry, Alan, and I'm um, and I'm not sure I've ever seen Love Actually either. <gasps> oh uh, my! Okay, maybe just, maybe not all the way delete interviews. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you but, need to watch them. They're so good. I know. I, the thing is, I love movies as well. So, and I love rom coms and and all and all that that kind of type of movie as well. But. Uh, I adore movies. So I have, a, I have an unlimited cinema card. So again, going back to an early question is what makes you happy? I love going to the cinema. Um, uh, favorite ever film? Favorite ever film? Favorite ever film. Uh, it probably would be controversial again. It's probably something like Deadpool. Oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, mate. Well, delete, <laughs> yeah, you can delete the interview then. No, I, 
I have a, I, I, yeah, Deadpool. Uh, it wouldn't be anything, again, it wouldn't be anything that everybody else loves that's like kind of art, artistic or, uh, no, obviously, obviously, obviously Shawshank Redemption. Uh, that's in everybody's top 10. It is, isn't it? It is beautiful. And who wrote it? Who wrote it? Oh, I don't know. Oh, Tell Stephen me. King. Stephen King. Oh, Stephen King. So I'm, I'm this this Friday. I'm going to go. I'm going to see The Shining at the cinema. Oh, cool. uh, you know, I've never seen that actually. No, me neither. So uh, I'm going to see that on Friday because uh, they're doing a special screen at, the, at my local cinema. So I'll see that for the first time this Friday because Doctor Sleep comes out in a few weeks, and I'm going to see that as well. So that's kind of the follow up to The Shining. So oh, is it? Oh, I didn't even know that. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah, so I do love the cinema, but I'm afraid I've never, I don't think I've ever seen Four Weddings and a Funeral. You've got to do it, man, especially as a wedding photographer now. It's like, you just <laughs> have to. <It's> like... <laughs> I've never seen Father of the Bride either. I've never seen any of these kind of cl- kind of big, Dude. famous wedding-related films. You know, yeah. You've got to get on it. You should have um, a marathon of, of those wedding films. They are great, though. I love it. I love rom-coms and stuff. But anyway, Adam, thank you so much for that. Honestly, that was really, really great. So interesting. And there's loads of gold in there. I just found that just really, really interesting. Thank you for your time. It's brilliant. Cheers, Alan. Thanks for asking me. No, great. And I will put um, on the website kind of links to your site and those various uh, apps you mentioned and Nine Dots as well. People definitely check out Nine Dots to go to the gathering, become a member. It's honestly brilliant stuff, a brilliant community. Great. Thanks so much, man. Cheers, Alan. Thanks for listening to our very first episode of the This Is Reportage podcast. We've launched with three episodes, so you can check out episode two and episode three right now for interviews with Ross Harvey and Sitlali Rika, respectively. If you enjoy, consider subscribing to the show in iTunes for new interviews each week. And if you fancy leaving us a rating or a review, that would be really appreciated. You can also head to thisisreportage.com to find a full transcription of this episode with links to the various things Adam mentioned too. And lastly, if you're not already a member then check out all the benefits of joining us. We're all about promoting the very best in documentary wedding photography and members receive lots of benefits, including 60 reportage award entries and 18 story award entries per year, an unlimited number of images shown on your profile, exclusive discounts on wedding photography related products, invites to our physical meetups and parties and much more. No poses, nothing staged. This is reportage. And this is bye for now. (laughs) 